Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Roger fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday, Tuesday evening. But it is a Tuesday, and today on the podcast, we're going to talk with USCFootball.com beat writer and columnist Dan Weber about what's going on with this football team. Of course, uh, trying to put a wrap, a, a bow on the Steve Sarkeesian stuff. We're not going to spend too much time on it. And get to a lot of your questions. And as you can imagine, a ton of your questions came in this week. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can leave us a voicemail at 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. You can click on the left side of the page and leave a voicemail there. Plus, you can see all the old episodes. We put all of that stuff up on peristylepodcast.com. And download the. you can subscribe to the podcast and download through iTunes, itunes.com slash peristyle podcast any any podcast app usually you can go through itunes and get the peristyle podcast and please leave us some positive feedback that would be wonderful and it's a great way to listen to the show if you want to go for a jog or you're in the car um, i started listening to podcasts a lot more that way now so it's been pretty cool uh so let's bring in dan weber um dan it's been a crazy few days we we're supposed to have a couple of days off that did not happen uh but yeah crazy couple of days at usc but we did get an apology from uh, Sark about making us work on Sunday. He did. So uh, that was that was might have been the absolute high point uh, today, <laughs> and uh, and we're going to get and I say we the media we're going to get to roam the sidelines now, uh, all the way to the fifty yard line uh, since there uh, the parent there are no parents and no more fans, so uh, it's kind of like uh, we've got the place to ourselves now, although. Uh, when you got 10 TV trucks, uh, they <laughs> took the whole, you know, McClintock from one end to the other practically today and stayed there all day, which was kind of interesting. They were doing, you know, those guys were going out to get something to eat and coming back and they were filing all day long. It was, uh, pretty amazing when you, you watch one of these, uh, things go viral in front of you. You just think, man, this is, uh, this is, they, they just can't get enough of it. That's true. And, uh, I wanted to, well, I, we'll start talking about that, but I want to thank our sponsor, Michael Moline Real Estate. So, uh, Michael's been great. You can go, he, we'll see him at the Coliseum soon, those first three whole game, home games, cause he does stats for the USC football team, but he also does real estate here in Southern California. You can go michaelmolinerealestate.com or give him a call at 310-275-4688. And we'll have some more information for him from him on the end of the podcast. So check that out for sure. And uh, so we don't want to belabor this. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think we're going to talk about this too much more unless something else comes to light. With It's such a polarizing topic, Dan, and so many people write in on one side or the other, and they're not, not even close to each other, that we don't talk about it enough or we talk about it too much. I guess there, there's no right way to do this, uh, but we wanted to talk more about football. We'll, we'll get into this. I want to read some comments that c- came in. I'm not going to read everybody's question there was just too many of them but i wanted to touch on like a few high points i guess you could say dan maybe get your take on it people can listen to what we talked about it directly on instant analysis up on uscfootball.com so we went about seven minutes there 
And we'll probably spend a little bit more, more time here. But is that okay? I'll read a few comments from, from some of the people for you. That sounds great. Okay. Um, so Bob Crockett, 1975 from Menlo Park. He was basically writing and saying how disappointed he was in not only Steve Sarkeesian, but also Pat Hayden that we've, we've seen that kind of theme a lot. Uh, Dennis and Brussels said that we're, uh, and this was referring to Monday's podcast because we didn't talk about it enough. He was calling us quote unquote homers that we were sweeping in under the rug. And coach Harvey Hyde and I actually talked about it quite a bit. And that was before Tuesday's press conference. So this is after it. So we want to talk about it again. We want to talk about it when it's newsy. We don't want to just kind of belabor the point. Um, and there's a Steve, uh, Steve wrote in, um, when do the issues with the athletic department start sticking to Pat Hayden? Um, Gabe wrote in saying, Hey, this is no big deal. This is overblown. And we've seen that said quite a bit, Dan. People think, why are we even talking about this? You shouldn't talk about it at all. So as you can see, there's like people on both sides of this. Uh, Juice in San Diego, uh, he was questioning Sark's leadership going forward that wasn't sure with what he did if players would follow him. Uh, Jeff in Lake Forest is going through a divorce himself and feels like uh, the, that there's a lot of stress there and feels that that could be linked because of the amount of stress of Steve Sarkeesian going through that divorce. We've seen that theme repeated a few times in some of these questions. Uh, Robin Ukaika, uh, he said it started with a scrimmage when he was uh, talking about uh, you know, he pointed to one of the reporters saying that they're, they think that UCLA is tougher than us. And then he wasn't really happy with the performance. Um, uh, and then the divorce and all kind of piling in. So he felt that stress kind of started out through the day. And that's probably what was the, the catalyst. He doesn't think you should fire Sark. Um, but he thinks that Sark might have burned through any equity he had. And I thought that was a good point. Uh, and then the last one, JD and DC thought it was too much stress. And he, because of this, there's a lot of stress. He shouldn't be the offensive coordinator anymore. So I think that kind of touches most of the, the topics or I guess the, the points, Dan, that people have been writing in. We get a lot of these, but I just wanted to kind of throw it all out there and then we can kind of discuss a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing that probably the one that I would not agree with are, are, are the people that say that it's just this way, way, way overblown. I, I just don't think. I think it's a serious deal. I think it really matters. And I think we ought to look at it as if it matters. And it's not a, you know, it's not the fault of the media. It's not a, you know, publicity generated kind of a deal. It's not people trying to take shots at USC or, or anything like that. I think it's a serious deal and it ought to be, you know, taken as such. And I don't think it's, it's easily, you know, put behind, uh, you know, you got to pull for Sark. You got to pull for anybody, you know, in that situation. And you got to hope that, uh, I mean, I think the, the football team comes first and that's a, you know, a hundred and however many guys are going to be, uh, when everybody, you know, walks on and all of that this week. Uh, that's an awful lot of guys. And that's a lot of people who put in a lot of effort and over a lot of years. And this is a chance to, to really, you know, get where they wanted to get without the NCAA, you know, pulling them down. And it is something that they're going to have to overcome a little bit. And I think today's practice, you know, showed a little bit of that, that, that you know, it was lingering, uh, no question, lingering for Sark, lingering for the team. And uh, you wish they didn't have to do that. So I, I just think for anybody to say that it's overblown, I don't think so. And And for those who say, well, we haven't heard about a whole lot of things, blah, blah, blah. 
uh, then that doesn't mean that it, there aren't issues that really do have to be there. I mean, just the very fact that they decided, you know what, there won't be any more alcohol in the, in the coach's locker room. And that's a, that's a step forward. I mean, there are just things like that that you know there there may have been some blind spots, uh, you know, around the program that that people just didn't pick up on maybe as much as they should have, and maybe this will be a way, you know, that that can all happen. So, uh, I mean, I think at this point you want to say let's use this as as something, you know, to say we see it, we recognize it, we're going to do better, we're going to you know get past it. This is going to you know, work in our favor. Uh, the team's going to come come together. Uh, coaching staff will be more, uh, maybe more efficient. Uh, you know, maybe uh, some new role. You know, uh, way in which say let's start does what he does. Uh, that he can see it differently in terms of his own, you know, participation in in how the coaching goes and all of that. We saw a little bit of that, you know, today. I think a little bit more administrator and, you know, overseeing, you know, different things or moving from one to the other and being kind of trying to be a motivator and that kind of thing. So we'll see, you know, how this all plays out. I don't think we can possibly know at this point how it plays out. But one thing I would like to see is, especially on the boards and places like that, if a couple of people see it differently, it's not because the other person is a bad person (laughs) or the other person deserves to be attacked. Because they don't see it the way you, you see it. Uh, it's just that they don't see it the way you see it. I mean, there are probably a bunch of people on there that don't see it the way I see it. Now, I realize they can't see it the way I see it. I see it through, you know, my own eyes, my own experience, my own, you know, everything. And I understand that. And they're not bad people because they see it the way they see it. But I think there is a tendency on this issue for the first time that we're seeing people say, you don't agree with me, you don't see it the way I do, you're a bad guy. And that has to stop, I really think. That's just, just talk about what you think, what you see, but not the other guy's got bad motives or he's, you know, an idiot or, or whatever, or he's a hater. Uh, you know, you could be, you don't have to be a hater to say you're not happy with, with something the way it's going and you'd like to see something different or better. So. Anyway, that's my two cents worth there. Yeah, no, and it's a it's a common thing. We started to see this, Dan, um, you know, on the Peristyle with with Lane Kiffin, and it usually ends up being the people that are kind of uh, supporting the head coach no matter what, and the, the people that didn't want the head coach around to begin with. And we saw there was, you know, Lane Kiffin was pretty polarizing, and I think Steve Sarkeesian, it's fair to say, was pretty polarizing as well. There was a lot of people when he was hired did not agree with it. And they're kind of hoping, you know, looking to see what happens. But then something like this happens. And then those people are like, see, I told you we shouldn't have hired him to begin with. And the, the supporters are like, this was a one time thing. You, you're making a big deal out of it. So it, it ends up being kind of a, you know, a rebirth of an old fight, I guess you could say. And, but I agree with you a hundred percent. And if people need to understand, there are just so wide ranges. I mean, I've had national media members calling me all day, like yesterday. I mean, it's, People are asking about it, and they have different views. The boosters we talk to have different views. All the users on uscfootball.com have different views. It's okay that they have different views, but you have to understand that you may think really strongly one way. There's someone that thinks just as strongly the complete opposite way, and it's it's mostly like that on this kind of issue, Dan. I'm not sure why, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of middle ground. It's always one extreme or the other. 
I'll tell you, one of the groups that has gone pretty much one direction, it seems to me, are the football players who were there uh, from the uh, 50-year anniversary and the 25-year anniversary, the 65 and the 90 teams. I do not think they were very pleased about how this went down, uh, you know, on a night when you were honoring them and very much they're into, you know, the history and the tradition and in the kind of a reverence for USC football and and we're seeing it up close. I think they were uh those were the people you want to respect their opinion about this and, and they were not pleased. Yeah. And this was on their special night. And and for a lot of people that's a special night. And yeah and I think you have to make sure those things don't happen. And you wish they'd go back and, and, and do an analysis of all the things that happened to allow that to happen and figure out how that doesn't happen ever, ever again. Yeah. Uh, it just can't. Uh, and, you know, for all the reasons that it can't. But, um, uh, but you know, I guess the thing you want to say is use this to make positive steps going in, in a lot of different directions. Do not use this for something for recriminations. You know, there will be people who say, well, this wasn't the right way to handle it or going forward, this isn't the right way or I see, you know, trouble or whatever. I think at this point, you basically got to say, how can we make this right? How can we make this happen? What can anybody do, you know, here to, uh, uh, you know, to make something good happen out of, you know, something that, that wasn't so good? And I don't know that we any of us have an answer for that, but but I think that has to be where everybody is right now, instead of just trying to you know tear people down who don't agree with you. I agree 100. Uh, so hopefully we people practice that on on the message boards. Um, okay, so we're gonna talk. We want to talk some regular football stuff. I don't think we're gonna broach the subject again unless, of course, some some more news breaks. So I you know. For the people that want to just hear about 24-7, I'm sorry, we just, we don't want to do that. And for the people that never want to hear about it anyway, I'm sorry, but we have to talk about it. It's big news. Um, it's not being a dead horse. It just happened today. So we needed to talk about it, but we're going to move on and talk about some football, Dan. Um, so let's jump right into the questions. Kevin in South Orange County, he said, Dan, would you share your thoughts on Jordan Simmons and Kenny Bigelow so far in camp? Very curious to hear how they're doing and if they'll be big contributors this year. I'm not sure about, you know, Jordan. Jordan's got all the tools that, you know, you would need, except for the fact that does the knee handle the stress? You know, that's a big, 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 you know, 6'4", and, you know, 300 and almost 330 pounds. And he developed some fluid on that, you know, surgically repaired knee. And, uh, you know, we noticed, you know, last year that that was never – I don't know that he was ever really healthy – last year and you know he got some he- fairly heavy work uh you know a week ago and um kind of you know at that point ran out of uh, the ability to to use that knee without getting fluid and swelling up and, and limiting his mobility and you know so i don't know he's certainly got the skills to play there and he's got you know the body uh, with the exception of that knee or Teddy Bigelow, he's, you know, he's got 285 pounds. He just he couldn't look any better. Uh, he's certainly, you know, hanging in there, working at it. He, he needs to 
be able to be more, you know, as flexible as he could possibly be and disengage, you know, blockers and get to where he can make plays. And that's not an, you know, an easy thing to do, uh, for Kenny. Kenny's kind of, you know, and he's been working and doing yoga and doing things like that to, to, you know, increase his flexibility. But if he could, you know, and there are players, I mean, I remember Devon Kennard as athletic as he was and all the ways he looked good. Uh, it took him three to four years before he really became a guy who could make plays. He would get close. He would, uh, you know, work hard and do a lot of good things. But, uh, that's where I think Kenny Bigelow is, is just figuring out. I mean, I think he'll be in the rotation. I think he'll be on the field. And, uh, you know, it might be just a, a case of, you know, finally getting some game action and really, you know, just getting into the swing of things. He had a, you know, a couple of years where he hasn't played any games and he had only four when he was a senior in high school. So, you know, this is a kid that, that you know, there's some rust there, but, uh, um, you know, I think both of them, we will see when we see, uh, with, you know, where do they end up? Both of them, if you look at them, you'd say, man, this guy looks like he can play. So, um, you know, I wouldn't say they can't, uh, but they haven't yet. And, um, we'll get to, we're going to find out this year. All right. Uh, Cole in Vegas, he says, Hey guys, love the podcast. Can't get enough of it. Thanks, Cole. Uh, my question is for Coach Weber. So you're Coach Weber now, Dan. I like that. Thank you. Used to be a coach anyway. Uh, about yeah. the tight end situation with Cope Fitzpatrick not playing as well as Bryce Dixon. Who do you expect to step up in the tight end spot, and do you think there will be a position of weakness? Thanks so much. Love the podcast. Appreciate the work you guys put in. Keep up the good work, Cole and Vegas. Well, we saw Taylor McNamara, the Oklahoma transfer uh, from San Diego, uh, graduated in three years in Oklahoma. After about 10 days or so, he started to really figure things out, started to get the offense and the terminology. And it was a good thing last week he stepped up when uh, Connor Spears kind of took a little – you know, got himself out of, out of action for a few days. Then the last couple of days, the scrimmage and today, Connor Spears came back and made some big plays. Uh, and then, uh, and Tyler Petit is basically every time he has a chance to catch the football, that freshman, he's got baseball player hands. I mean, he's just got those real soft hands. So that gives you three guys with kind of a, a distinctly different uh, you know, skill set. I think Taylor's got the, you know, was a blocking tight end at Oklahoma, essentially, but he started to catch the ball. Uh, Connor is, you know, 6'6", 255, and catches the ball well, runs, runs good routes, uh, working on his blocking. And then, uh, and then Tyler is, uh, a real mature looking freshman. And so I think with those three guys together, that's, that's a pretty good position now. All right. Uh, thanks for that one. Let's go to Tarek. Uh, Coach Steve Sarkeesian said Saturday that those who played in the scrimmage were most likely to play during the fall. Did you see John Houston play? And if so, what were your thoughts on him? I think John Houston is, that's a good, uh, into, I mean, that's a flip of coin, it seems to me. I know people were t- today were looking at who had the black shirts on in the scout team and who, you know, possibly does that translate to black shirt to red shirt? Uh, and I don't think so in all cases. And he may be one of those. Uh, and I know the last time he talked about him, Sark was very, you know, impressed with, uh, his physicality, the, you know, the ability of a 6'3 and 200 and, you know, whatever 20 plus pound guy to do some things. 
But I, but and and the fact that they were thinking they could play him, you know, as a backup with uh, Uchenna Inuusu for um, um, you know for Sua. But um, uh, that's a, one thing that's complicating that is the last few days is uh, Quentin Powell has looked so good, you know, at that spot. So. I don't know. That would give you four guys at at Sue's spot at that you know outside linebacker, a strong you know stand linebacker. So I don't know if if Quentin keeps playing the way he's playing. Uh, where do we uh, you know where do you go with a with a true freshman? I uh, you know so I I I don't think we know the answer to to where where John Houston is going to end up. He's he's really good. He's got all kinds of ability. I wouldn't want to necessarily predict that. Okay. Uh, we're going to do a voicemail question. Here you go. Hey, guys. This is Ian in San Francisco. Love the show, just like everyone else says. Uh, this question is for Dan. I was just re- listening to the most recent podcast where you were talking about tackling on the team and uh despite the fact that there haven't been many tackling drills you were saying that in the scrimmage the tackling looked really good and that because we have such top caliber athletes that assuming they know how to lean and their body positioning they'll be able to tackle but i just want to point out that in 2012 i believe that when uh preseason number one we had all the best athletes in the world although with a uh, sanction in place that we weren't tackling in practice and then when it got to games we couldn't tackle at all um so i was just hoping to get your feedback on that and again thank you very much and love the show fight on yeah i, I don't uh, and i i didn't catch the name of san francisco did you catch i wanted to say uh, that's a good question and uh, a perceptive one and I think it's really one of the uh, issues you have to decide on how you're going to deal with it as a coach. I think the thing that uh, I like always so much with these teams is uh, they tackle well uh, because they pra- they practice full speed and very competitively. Uh, not long, uh, but uh, you know they were really going hard when they were out there, and uh, they didn't need to do a lot of tackling at practice. Uh, and, I don't think the 2012 team was limited because they didn't tackle. They were limited because they didn't practice hard. They didn't practice fast. They didn't, they didn't simulate. I thought, you know, the thing that Pete was, was ahead of fast, farther than anybody else in his era 10 years ago was that they simulated game conditions with the competitiveness and the speed, you know, with which they practiced. That to me is the key. The tackling will take care of itself. Uh, but if you're going slow and you're also, you know, not tackling, it's easy to say, oh, the problem was you weren't tackling. No, I think the problem was you weren't simulating game, game conditions. You have to practice game condition, uh, situations. You, I mean, and I'm not just a situation, but it has to be kind of a tempo and attitude. All of the things that you are going to do in the game, you have to be able to do them. You have to replicate them on the practice field. And these guys are good enough athletes. If they run to the ball, if they run, you know, they gang tackle, if they run as a group, they're going to tackle people. But the key is if you go slow in the week, if you're trying to save yourself, if you're trying to, you know, keep the numbers up. And that was a difficult issue always. They were trying to decide. What do we do to keep the numbers up? 
Uh, and if that, you know, causes you to back off a little bit, even, you know, unintentionally, where you're not even trying to, but the players do just because there's nobody behind them, uh, that's the problem. So I, I, I think the, the tackling takes care of itself if the practices are, are high-speed, competitive, and absolutely game conditioned. I mean, under Pete, those guys used to say game conditions were a step down, that they were they were going harder in practice sometimes than they had to go in games. Uh, so I think that's the key. All right. Uh, Melvin wants to know, since you've seen quite a few practices, including those with pads, has anyone stood out as a big hitter out of the group of new players? Uh, let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. I think... Um, I think I'm in a biggie Marshall. I think, uh, will, uh, hit you and he really wants to hit you and he would, you know, very much like to hit you. I think, uh, you know, running the ball, Aka Cedric Ware, I think he doesn't mind hitting you at all. Um, uh, Porter Gustin, he's going to run over you. I think we've, he doesn't get a chance to hit many people because basically he's rushing the quarterback and they're not allowed to be hit. So, uh, he did hit. Uh, unfortunately, I think one day he didn't realize Ricky Town stepped up in his way, and he just sort of obliterated, you know, Ricky Town. Uh, I think Cameron Smith looks like uh, he will absolutely hit you. Um, we haven't probably seen enough of the big defensive linemen where they're in situations where they can just absolutely deliver a blow. I think we, you mentioned John, you know, John Houston, Osa Messina, I think all of those guys, uh, you know, look like they're, they're definitely willing to, you know, to deliver a blow. I think Akili Ross, uh, you know, in the secondary is another guy who will, uh, you know, will come up and hit you, but, uh, there's a decent number of, of, of hitters, you know, in this new, uh, you know, this freshman group that, that have come in here. Um, I think that's probably, uh, off the top of my head. That's, uh, that's probably most of them. Okay. Uh, Let's see. I want to get Dan Weber's opinion on the play of Cody Kessler in fall camp. I heard, haven't heard much about his play this past few weeks. Really? Well, you must not be paying attention. Uh, how does Dan's access, how, I'm sorry, how does Dan assess Cody's progression in his third year as a starting quarterback? As always, you guys do a great job covering USC football. Thanks a lot. And it's Suas, I believe. S-U-H-A-S. Okay, Suas. Uh, I think one of the things he's done is, uh, he's taken a, you know, some more chances. He's, uh, I think more able, I think he really worked hard this summer, this spring and summer, basically, to see all the possibilities of all his receivers. So I think his ability to distribute the ball, you know, sideline to sideline, uh, short and deep, uh, I think he's worked on the deep ball, absolutely, uh, the play action stuff, I think, uh, I think they're gonna, you know, you're gonna like seeing some of what they do there. But, uh, I think arm strength has improved. Um, you know, he, he probably, and whether, you know, you get that same 39 touchdowns to five interceptions ratio, uh, I don't know, I don't know, you know, if you can even expect, you know, something like that. But I think there, there are ways in which he can be more effective. He actually probably will take off with the football more this year as well, uh, where he'll, you know, if you've got, you know, you've dropped off on everybody and, uh, uh, I don't think he'll take quite as long to say, you know, to, to tuck it in and, and take five yards if he can get it. Uh, so, so yeah, I think we kind of take Cody maybe for granted after last year. 
And so, uh, um, so I've been, you know, been pretty pleased. But I, I think one of the things when you're watching the quarterback is Max Brown has had such a good camp and has done so many good things. And we realize now, wow, you know, we knew it, but we didn't always, you know, didn't get to see it until now. Um, so I think a lot of the attention, and Sam Darnold, uh, I think those guys have gotten a lot of the attention. So we just expect Cody to be Cody. I think he's been more of a leader, you know, more vocal, uh, done a lot of, you know, a lot of good things that probably get taken for granted mostly, uh, as you would expect with a, you know, quarterback that kind of does things the way Cody does. Um, okay. We actually have two, uh, running back voicemail questions. So I'll, I'm going to play them back to back if that's okay for you, Dan. That's cool. Sure. All right. Here's the first one. Randall and Dallas for my question for Dan. When it comes to the running back situation and Dominic Davis, since he got run in the final scrimmage, is it safe to expect that he does not red shirt? And what about Isaiah Langley? Has he played himself out of a red shirt or does he need more time to develop and wait? I thank you for everything that you and Ryan do each week and uh, enjoy the podcast. And then I'll play the other one. I know there was an Isaiah Langley thing in there too, but I'll play the other running okay. back one. Hey guys, fight on. This is uh, JG Trojan. Just a quick question about the running backs. Um curious about um, what kind of playing time we can expect um, and how it will be divided between the uh, the returners, um, Davis and Madden, and the uh, three new freshmen. I'm pretty excited about those guys and uh, just curious what we can expect to see in the backfield. Thanks. Fight on. Okay, as far as the running backs are concerned, uh, Dominic definitely has played his way out of a red shirt. I don't think there's any question about it, but I, I, I'd be surprised if any of this guy's red shirt uh, we didn't see Ronald Jones, uh, Tuesday, so I don't know, you know, if there's, you know, whatever that, you know, reason, you know, was, but I would be, I would think it would be similar to the two years ago when they, you know, when Tommy Robinson was running back coach and, and for our guy in Dallas, uh, Tommy's at the University of Texas now, but he figured a way to get all five of them in. And there were ways in which you had to run, you know, use all five of them because, you know, guys get hurt. And as we see it right now, you know, they're, they're being fairly protective of Trey. Uh, Justin is, uh, you know, got that upper rib cage and, you know, not back in pads yet at all. And, uh, so, uh, today, you know, the, uh, all the work was pretty much done by, you know, Dominic Davis and Aka Cedric Ware. So, I don't, I think, I think you're going to see all five of them. I think it's going to be different from week to week, but, uh, but I, I would like to, you know, say, look at, uh, look at two years ago, look at five running backs and, uh, you know, a number of them young guys and, and see how that went and, and, you know, watch, uh, you know, watch it, uh, happen maybe again this year. You know, oh, and Isaiah Langley, okay. excuse me. Isaiah Langley may, uh, may, I don't know that they can play four freshmen in the secondary. I, I would maybe be surprised. And then we're looking right now, Marvell Tell and, 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 you know, I'm on Marshall may both, uh, you know, have a chance to start. And in that situation, uh, I'm not sure if, uh, you can't, uh, hurt his, uh, shoulder or right arm today. And, uh, Isaiah, uh, was with the, uh, with the scout team. So, uh, that might be the breakdown right now that maybe you can't figure out how to get all four, uh, you know, de- freshman defensive backs on the field. 
Um, and I, the, uh, Ronald Jones thing, I, you know, I came in kind of late. I was working on all the videos for the practice, so I didn't get to come in till late, but some of the writers were talking about that he might have had a Tuesday class at like nine o'clock that was not very well timed. Uh, yeah, I heard that. And I, I'm going to wait till tomorrow. Uh, that, that just always doesn't seem possible. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, but maybe we'll yeah. find out tomorrow. I think. Yeah. I mean, it looked like some people saw him early and then he was gone. So, uh, and with, with the whole, you know, uh, Sark, press conference and all that it was uh, a little difficult to pick up everybody to the game but we didn't we didn't at the end see him doing anything so but th- that would be odd because tuesday is the big you know work day and full pay is work day that would be uh, an odd scenario for a freshman so running that, back yeah probably That's... needs as much work as possible but we'll find out maybe a little bit tomorrow all right we got a couple more um rusty uh says uh, many are stating the obvious that there's a different feeling around the program this year. Over the last few years, many fans, me included, hoped we'd get lucky and win a few tough games, but it's starting to sound like we are ready to forcefully take those wins. It seems as though you are genuinely excited about and confident in the poss- in the possibilities this year. Are you seeing uh, a dominant force rise again? Would like to hear uh, from Ryan on this as well, Rusty. Well. I mean, it, it's a it's a force that's got a lot of talent, a lot of young talent, a lot of speed, speed we haven't seen. Uh, it's got the numbers that you can tell that the coaches have a confidence level that they did not have last year. They were coaching defensively. Uh, they were coaching not to run out of gas at the end. They were coaching, you know, they you know it was a group of coaches. For the most part, it never coached a scholarship limited team. So I think that was, uh, over above everything that they were doing in terms of practice, in terms of games, in terms of second half. Uh, whereas, uh, this year, I don't think that factors in at all. I mean, I think they looked pretty much everywhere. And, uh, you know, the one position that they thought, oh my gosh, how are we going to get through was tight end. And now they look and say, geez, you know, we got three guys that look like they're capable of starting. Uh, so things are things. There's a different look about this team, a different feel, and a different sense of we have the answers. I mean, when you run out of bodies, like two years ago at Notre Dame or whatever, when you basically you didn't have any, you know, anybody to throw the ball to at the end of the game, they were all gone. You don't have any answers. I mean, there's just not much you can do at that point. You get the sense that they don't think there's any place where maybe they don't have answers. They may be young answers. They may be, uh, you know, answers that, you know, aren't proven, but, uh, but in, in terms of the numbers and the rotation, uh, you know, they feel like, uh, they can stay on the field with anybody. And it's not so much stay on the field. I think this year, you know, they don't feel like coming out in the second half, they're going to have to, you know, just try to get through it and hope they can, uh, you know, hold on. I, I don't, you don't have any of that sense of that's going to be the way they approach, uh, any game. All right, we got one last one. Uh, he says, what do you think is better at what they do, USC's offense or USC's defense? Um, also, is the starting offense and the backup defense uh, plays against the starting defense and the backup offense? If they if they played, who would win? So I guess if you had a team with the starting offense and the backup defense playing against 
the starting defense and the backup offense. Who would win? Just trying to get a feel for which squad looks better this year. Thank you and love the show. Well, I think the starting defense against the backup offense has a big has a, has a, an advantage. I, I think there's that would be the I think that would be the norm in most places. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you know I think the backup defense probably has a little more ability to compete with the uh, with the starting offense uh, than the other way around. I, I would say right now. I mean, you know, this has been a year where that, you know, the defense has had a had a pretty good camp, and they just keep coming together. It looks like, and playing fast, and playing with uh, you know decent rotations, and having Preston step up in the secondary and at linebacker. Uh, that you know, almost, you know, uh, I would give the edge probably to the defense. I think I, I would agree with you on that one, Dan. Just at this point. Um... What's going? And we saw the scrimmage, uh, just all the bodies in there. They seem to take it to them. There's individual plays on offense where we saw Dory Jackson kind of go crazy when they were putting those packages in for him. Uh, but really in the live scrimmage, it was, uh, that defensive front kind of caused so many, so many problems. It was just hard for the offense to get anything going. Yeah. I mean, they're playing faster and, and that's a big deal. I think, uh, you know, that last year they, they basically read and reacted. And held on. And this year they're going after people and they're using, you know, the skills that, you know, the returning linemen have. They're using the skill set that Sua Cravens has. It, you know, they're, they're not afraid to blitz. Uh, they're doing, they're, and I think a big part of that is they're not afraid to play man. And if they're, if you can come up and play man and, and really press cover and, uh, you know, hold guys up and not let them get into their routes and all that for a couple of three seconds, they think they've got a chance to get to the quarterback. And with the personnel they've got now, you know, they probably do. And uh, that's a whole different, you know, that's just a completely different mindset from last year. So that playing fast and going, you know, taking people out of their game, uh, that that's, uh, that's something you wish you could have seen last year. But it does seem like, it, you know, it's coming through this year. Uh, all right, Dad. Well, great stuff. I'm glad we could uh, kind of address all the, the current issues. We wanted to talk more about football, so I think we were able to to do that. We'll be back at practice Wednesday morning, and we all the players will be available, and I think we'll be talking about football again, Dan, so it should be good. Yeah, I can't wait. I think tomorrow will be a better day for everybody involved in terms of just focusing on football. And this is a difficult week because it, we're going to game week practicing schedule because they started class so instead of normally maybe you get three weeks before you get into class and then one week to get ready for the game it's two weeks before class and then two weeks before the game and and yet we're we're in a game week schedule with the early morning practices but there's no game this week so it's kind of like a bye week uh so you're sort of looking at arkansas state and you're sort of looking at the game plan but it's really not you know, the same thing as, the, the, you know, where it's happening this week. So it probably isn't the easiest for these kids to focus on exactly what they're focusing on this week. It's not camp anymore, and it's not exactly game week. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they get through this week uh, and, you know, put it all together. All right. Well, great stuff, Dan. Thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate uh, getting all your insights. It was fun. That was fun, exactly, and, and more good questions. Thank you, guys. We uh, those are fun to you know figure out. Yeah, <laughs> we we do our best. We try to do it. 
Um, all right. Well, thanks, Dan, and everyone else. Thank you very much for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We're going to talk to you next time, and here's a quick message from Michael Moline Real Estate. Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 